Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Look Ahead Podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by HII. HII is a trusted defense and technologies partner, supporting all services in all domains and the only builder of nuclear-powered aircraft carriers, HII delivering the advantage. Later in the program, Michael Harpin joins us to discuss the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency's fifth annual President's Cup competition. But first, joining us now is my good friend Byron Callen of the independent Washington research firm Capital Alpha Partners for a look at the week ahead and whatever else is on his mind. Byron, welcome back to the program and I hope you guys had a terrific weekend. We did, Vago. It's always a pleasure to be here on Monday. Byron, thanks very much. Wouldn't be Monday uh, without you. Last week, we started off with, uh, obviously, the political process, Donald Trump, uh, to an overwhelming victory uh, in Iowa. Before we recorded, uh, uh, Donald Trump had not yet won uh, in New Hampshire, even though there were hopes that Nikki Haley would prevail. We've got South Carolina coming uh, up, and right now, it's Donald Trump to Nikki Haley and everybody else, uh, zero. Well, what's your sense on the arc of this race and how it's already actually impacting legislation as far as you're concerned and and whether or not folks should be hoping for an option C that might not actually be there? Um, look, you know, I think Trump is going to be the GOP nominee. <clears throat> you know, now what happens? <laughs> this can be a long and windy road. <clears throat> we don't know what happens on the legal front, what happens um you know, literally with the health of both uh, President Biden and Donald Trump. And so <clears throat> there's still, uh, you know, options that probably should be considered. But I think, you know, the dominant scenario people ought to be looking at is that, again, a, a repeat of the matchup in 2020. Um, you know, but we've seen how Trump is already influencing, particularly what the House GOP um, is capable of doing, Um I know you guys talked about this a bit on the, on the Friday uh, show, but, you know, I think it's just going to be more and more difficult to get things done when you have Trump, you know, shouting over the shoulder of Congress, you know, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And um, his sway, I think, is going to make things difficult, um, difficult to get policy budgets through. Now, maybe, you know, there's a report, on Saturday that uh, CQ broke that the 302B numbers had been agreed to uh, between the House and Senate <clears throat> appropriations committees. That's a good step forward. <clears throat> they haven't been made public yet. Um, so we'll really kind of have to, you know, I wanted to hold fire until I saw what are the numbers, what's going to be the reaction. You know, you're in a period where you have a very slim majority um, in in the House, uh, given given the three vacant seats that had been occupied by uh, by Republican representatives. Um, so, you know, Vago, I mean, this kind of bleeds into earnings season. You know, a lot of the managements who talked last week seemed fairly confident that they'll get appropriations done. That Washington will get appropriations done in March. Um, I'm not so sure of that. You know, I think we, the looming deadlines or the um, continuing resolution expirations, you know, we've seen Speaker Johnson say, no, 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 we're not going to do another CR. And then we do another CR. So uh, I could see this stretching into April right. uh, with additional CRs. And then 
you know, the critical question for defense is going to be, this is just regular appropriations. This doesn't even have anything to do with the supplemental, but the critical question is going to be, you know, well, can you avoid that 1% cut in the Fiscal Responsibility Act? And we're not going to know that until April, I believe. Uh, you know, I would hope that they are able to do that, but Budget Control Act uh, does suggest there are times when, uh, you know, Congress just isn't able to get, get change and there are unfortunate consequences for the defense sector. Um, I'm, I want to get to earnings uh, in in just a moment, but you mentioned uh, the supplemental. Your characterization of that uh, is cautious. Uh, yeah. You've um, made the case that, look, we're getting stalemated. Trump is playing in this process uh, as well, although it looks like uh, there is a good faith effort on the part of the Senate as well as the House leadership on a bipartisan basis to get a deal. And the White House is signaling something they hadn't before, that they're willing to close the border. And the president has said that in order to get aid for Ukraine, understanding the magnitude of that. Does that change your estimate at all on where we end up on this critical Yeah, I mean, look, legislation? Well, these are, to me, these are all moving parts, right? You really have to see, you know, as much as maybe Biden's move um, will satisfy uh, Republicans, you know, well, how do Democrats respond to this? What, you know, how does this play in in the broader basis of, of all these, both parties in the United States? So um, I am cautious on it. And, and I think, you know, the first question is, <clears throat> well, how is Trump going to weigh in on this? I think that that remains a critical factor. Um, and I, I also feel you know, the way this bill had been crafted, <clears throat> the the initial request that got sent over by the administration and then the, the way the Senate bill um, built this out, you know, it's it's $110 billion in the Senate version of the supplemental request. You know, but some of that money is for, <clears throat> you know, it really extends in the FY25 and FY26. You know, can we see a back to the drawing board moment where, <clears throat> you know, it's a shorter term CR um you know, the news uh, last week, you know, Ukraine, I think, barely made any territorial gains. The Russians took back, it's like 40 or 50 square kilometers of territory. Um, and, and so the war, you know, I won't say the initiative is tipping decisively in Russia's favor, but it's grinding away in that direction. Um, and I, so I am... I am going to, I am cautious on that. It's interesting that that really didn't come up on a lot of the conference calls last week. I was frankly surprised that people weren't asking or pushing managements more to talk about the supplemental, given how much of that is going to benefit, uh, you know, the portfolios of these companies. Um, are you at all looking at the outcome of the uh, South Carolina race for Joe Biden? No. Uh, I mean, are there any messages that we should be looking for there in terms of magnitude or win and how? Other candidates no, I mean, I think you really, uh, my, my, my base case is, you know, it's going to be a Biden-Trump rematch. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to find out all at the same time if it's going to be something different, because I really do think it's going to be, I shouldn't say that that flippantly. I, I was thinking more of the health issues. You know, Trump has been uh, not, there have been a couple of instances where, you know, you could question his cognitive ability, you know, as much as... Uh, as this gets thrown in, in uh, Biden's case, you know, just age and the really the stress and, and demands of, you know, campaigning, let alone governing. Um, but, you know, will that matter, uh, you know, to the general outcome of the election? We'll, we'll see. So uh, until something breaks, like I just think these primaries, um, even through Super Tuesday, you know, the, the base case 
is that you know rematch in 2020 but the the secondary or third order effects could be so what happens if trump really turns out to be um right. you know looking like he's headed for a major defeat in the july august time frame what happens if biden um makes some really bad faux pas and seems like he is just not capable of of serving another four four years you know that's where i think this gets really very interesting in uh in the summer time frame because uh, at that point there may still be enough time for you know the conventions to to propose and nominate additional candidates but uh but after august you know it's kind of a done deal what do you uh just briefly before we get uh to earnings i mean there is a concern that with each of the things the president is doing uh, that may be right, whether it's supporting Israel, uh, right? Protesters are following the president uh, around, uh, heckling him. Nancy Pelosi has suggested that Russians may be behind that. Um, there's uh, a, a sense that by doing a border deal, it will alienate some of the people, uh, the president's base. Uh, and, you know, it looks like turnout is always a problem for uh, Democrats, especially uh, even though young people did come across last time. Joe Manchin has not Forsworn coming into the race as a third way candidate. RFK is making gains. I mean, for a whole bunch of other reasons, do you are you are you at all concerned or are you tracking how Biden's support actually might end up becoming weaker as a consequence of each one of these individual little cuts? Honestly, Vago, I'm gonna leave that to other people who are much more versed in that. I mean, I pay attention to it clearly, but it it's not it's it's not where I'm spending the bulk of my time because I think it's just unknowable. Um, right. I'm going to rely on the opinions of other people who who have much better domain knowledge of you know how to read polls, what what's really going on with that that area. But but as I said, you know, I did write a note about what what I thought would happen if Trump was reelected. Um, you know, there's some real uh, <laughs> contradictions, I guess, between you know what Chris Miller has said about uh u.s defense spending what he wrote about in this chapter in the uh, major publication that uh heritage foundation put out it's kind of a, a template for a new administration um so we'll see we'll see and of course you know these these ongoing geopolitical events you know th this attack that happened over the weekend um you know will that rekindle kind of the initial um, response is, well, we've got to hit Iran, you know, but you also kind of wonder, well, will there be another dialogue that's going to emerge about why do we have all these little bases strung out <clears throat> in Jordan? Um, you know, what, what are they doing there? Are they vulnerable? You know, are you going to double down on these policies? Uh, and that might be something that injects itself into the, uh, into the, the electoral debate, but, right. but the broader debate about U.S. policy. And again, uh, concerns, right? Senator Tim Kaine is raising questions uh, about uh, U.S. involvement in strikes and strategy. And so there are those who, who criticize Senator Kaine for putting uh, the president in a spot. I, I want to move uh, to earnings because we've got a, a short amount of time left and we're going to talk about the broader political question on the Washington Roundtable uh, this week. Um, let me take you to earnings. What did you hear from the companies that reported? Obviously, we heard from Lockheed and Northrop uh, Grumman as well as others that you thought were uh, noteworthy this week, Byron, and, and what they tell us more broadly. So, Vago, there are a couple of things that I think were interesting from earnings. Um, you know, in, in no particular order of importance, I, I mentioned kind of this management consensus that uh, FY24 appropriations would get done in March. If you read the 10Ks that were filed by 
with the SEC by Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman. You know, the language wasn't as sanguine. There's more risk of delays, et cetera. You know, a bunch of uh, the, the Fiscal Responsibility Act um, uh, uh, measures being triggered. So that was one point that I think stood out. Um, there was more pushback, you know, on fixed price development contracts, you know, and, and kind of management's promising that, oh, we're going to be more disciplined in our bid process. I don't know if this was something similar to the 1980s when that was really a big hot button issue. And you saw companies like, um, I think it was Westinghouse Defense and maybe Hughes saying they just weren't going to bid this type of work. Um, I still think a lot of this isn't so much. There was this massive move by the Department of Defense to embrace fixed price development contracts as much as companies just got caught <clears throat> in a different inflation environment and they're having to eat it. Uh, they they did not get the relief from the Department of Defense that they they hoped to get. And frankly, <clears throat> you know, they bid for this work with a set of expectations that were proven incorrect by inflation. Um, cost growth in the B-21 program, you know, that's fine from an Air Force standpoint because Northrop Grumman is eating those costs um, on the five uh, LRIP lots. But beyond that, it, to me, it implies that's going to be a much more expensive bomber um, when Northrop come, comes back for the regular full rate production numbers. How does that bear on long-term Air Force plans? You know, wh where's the money going to come from to pay for what looked like at least a $70 million or more increase in the unit costs of these airplanes so right. um that was something that struck me and just the simple magnitude of the share buybacks i had to change the uh the uh y-axis on the chart that i used to show share bikes because of the uh, 10 billion dollar accelerated share repurchase that was completed by rtx now their stock has outperformed the s p 500 since that was announced uh, you saw Northrop Grumman come out with an accelerated share repurchase. So these things are still popular, but they are bound to create friction uh, with their defense customers when they see, you know, hey, we're not going to bid work uh, that we think is risky. and But oh, by the way, we're quite willing to just throw billions of dollars uh, buying stock back. Although, right, I mean, the counterpoint to that is what would you uh, like to have us do with this money when we don't know what direction the customer wants to go into, right? I mean, that's sort of the standard yeah. uh, response from industry whenever this question comes up. Yeah. Although, do you have to borrow money to do this? You know, can you, can you, you know, Northrop Grumman is, again, borrowing money to buy back stock. So, right. Um, Aren't a, there better uses of that capital is your point, especially when you know that the customer has all of yeah, these problems. And that, and that, that, that drive for free cash flow is going to, it's going to affect your, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, sure, these are, they've, companies have earned this cash, you know, they can do what they want with it. Um, my, my concern and I've written about it is <clears throat> if everybody behaves the same way, you're fine. You're not going to lose market share. But if you have companies like Endure, all other <clears throat> defense tech, start up some of the people who are on your panel that you uh, chaired at the Hudson event last week. Um, they may have a different view about risk tolerance and growth and they're hungry. And uh, you know, some of these large companies could very well lose share and be in a far worse position five to eight years from now, if, if they prove uh, you know, to take the conservative pass that were kind of laid out in some of these calls. Uh, and uh, thanks very much for mentioning that event. It was a terrific uh, discussion.
And that uh, conversation is uh, part of our monthly innovation series that we're starting in partnership with Clarion Defense, uh, heading up to the big Apex conference uh, next year uh, that Clarion uh, is sponsoring and organizing here in uh, Washington, D.C., and our friends at Hudson are part of that effort as well. Byron, uh, talk to us a little bit about what you expect to hear from companies that are reporting this week, particularly Boeing. As you know, on the Sunday show, we talked about what it is that Boeing management should be saying as opposed to what it's likely to say. From your standpoint, what are what are you watching for uh, this week, including? Well, look, I'm going to defer to to Ron and Rich, you know, on on Boeing commercial airplane. I just think that, you know, the issue for me is, you know, if they are going to take actions, there's some commentary about, you know, 737 production rates, for example, or or just the broader outlook for commercial aerospace. You know, you this is an integrated industry and. Um, particularly at the third and fourth uh, tiers of of the supply network, um, changes in commercial aerospace are going to have a, an impact on those companies. So, <clears throat> I think anything that proves, um, <clears throat> you know, if you break things in commercial aer- aerospace, you can break things in the defense uh, business as well too. And that's kind of what I'm going to be listening for: is you know, what are the rates? What are they doing to correct these? Um, these issues and, you know, how does that then trickle down to these third and fourth tier suppliers? Because that could create incremental risk if if something looks like it's going to be um, pretty dramatic as a result of the problems that Boeing has been experiencing. Um, Huntington Ingalls is going to report results. Um, <clears throat> Ball Aerospace, you know, reports results. So it'd be interesting what they say about the progress in the sale of their space business to BAE Systems. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's funny because a lot of the European companies, they get stretched out into frankly, February and March. So the pace of earnings is going to start to slow down here. And Byron, what is it, uh, the audience ought to be paying attention to this week? Because it is a very action-packed week when it comes to, uh, events, including, uh, Admiral Paparo, the Pacific fleet commanders hearings to become, uh, the next Indo-Pacific command, uh, succeeding, uh, Admiral Aquilino. Yeah, I think that's usually these confirmation hearings are pretty perfunctory, but, you know, they're important to listen to mainly more for the questions, I think, than than actually the witnesses' responses to those questions. Um, House T&I Committee is holding a January 30th hearing on Red Sea shipping threats, and the Washington Institute for Near East Policy is doing something on February 1st on the same issue. The U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission is holding a February 1st event on uh, kind of current and emerging technologies in the U.S.-China Economic and National Security Competition. Um, Exchange Monitor is holding their Nuclear Deterrence Summit. Uh, You know, that that mainly deals with with the nuclear stockpile, although there's bound to be um, some comment and speculation on, you know, where we stand with Sentinel and and the uh, B-21 and Columbia class programs. And then Hudson Institute is doing an event on January 31st on AUKUS Pillar 2. I think that mainly is focusing on autonomy. Um, so yeah, it's it's never a quiet weekend or week, Fago. It's, it's uh, varying degrees of busyness. Always great uh, to have you on, Byron. Really appreciate it. Look forward to having you back on again next week. Have a great week and we'll see you again soon.
Thank you, Vago. Always a pleasure. And joining us now is Michael Harpin. He is the competition section chief within the Cyber Defense Education and Training Branch at the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency to discuss the agency's fifth annual President's Cup competition. Uh, that is becoming an increasingly uh, key event in the uh, federal cyber world. Michael, thanks so very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Vago. Really excited to uh, spread the word about the President's Cup competition. Uh, it is uh, a fascinating uh, competition. And I think what's most interesting about it is that it's not just a participation trophy and it's not just limited to people within CISA. Uh, it is a broader federal competition, which I think is uh, sort of... Um, uh, you know, great about the cyber world where you can have this sort of engagement across government, basically to spur everybody on to do a better job. And it actually fits into the charge and the mission, the, the training and education mission you have, hence why you're the guy in charge of it in, in your department. How is the event structured and how is it actually paying off operational dividends uh, as far as you're concerned, not just in CISA, but actually more broadly across government at a, at a time when, uh, you know, almost each passing day is a better example of why cyber matters so much? Great question. A lot of plenty of information uh, about that with the with the President's Cup. So so the competition is a capture the flag format. And that, that's that's well known amongst the cybersecurity uh, competition community. But the capture of the flag gives participants uh, um, a, a chance to solve a problem within a virtual machine. And for the President's Cup, we want to make it lightweight uh, for our participants. Uh, you know, it is just open for the federal government. And we understand a lot of our participants are going to be playing from their government laptops. Uh, so we, we make it lightweight. They can play all of our challenges. All they need is a web browser and Internet access, and they, they can access our, our, our content there. Uh, and uh, so the, the competition is split into teams and an individual competition. Uh, the teams are, are um, among, it's up two to five members uh, per team, and they can be made up of anybody across uh, the federal government. So uh, we, we've seen a lot of great collaboration there. Uh, we're seeing you know, uh, uh, Secret Service and uh, Department of Energy teams this year. We've seen Postal Service and uh, Department of Defense teams as well this year. And that's really exciting to see some of that uh, cross-collaboration uh, amongst amongst the the community, even even some cross military branch teams. So you know that really speaks to cybersecurity as a whole of government uh, mission, and uh, you know colleagues or uh, you know and, and peers that individuals have within the federal workforce teaming up uh, for for the president's right. cup. The uh, individuals competition that's split into our track A uh, that focuses on defensive work roles uh, and tasks and skills and, and track B that focuses on offensive uh, skills and tasks. So we split that up um, uh, after our first competition. We've seen a lot of great success there that that there, you know, <laughs> there, there are different skill sets there. And it gives us a chance to 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 recognize uh, uh, that within the competition and give individuals who, you know, just by the nature of their work may not get that, that recognition. Uh, and there are certainly individuals who play in the president's cup who are smart and skilled enough who, who qualify in the finals for both of our individuals track, but we're really happy the way that that's gone, uh, that we can highlight some of those, you know, the, the defense aspect and the offensive aspect of the cybersecurity mission. So talk to us a little bit on, 
what is it they're trying to accomplish, right? You guys have added zero trust this year as one of the topics, obviously, that's, you know, on everybody's mind uh, fundamentally and was in the national cyber strategy as kind of a foundational element. Talk to us a little bit about the nature, you know, what what is it you're exactly competing? What are the kinds of things they want to do? What are uh, the kinds of flags you want them to be capturing, whether it's on the teams or on the individual events, right? I mean, what are some of the scenarios uh, that you guys are putting, uh, you know, testing, because ultimately you also want to get benefit from this as an organization, right? About being like, hey, that's a hard problem and they solved it. The challenges are all based off of real world technologies, uh, real world types of events within within a cybersecurity uh, workforce or, or career or day to day operations. Uh, so we we do have, uh, you know, we, we do make it a game like, you know, we, we do want all these challenges to be solved within, you know, we our ideas an hour, hour and a half that it's going to take for each of our challenges to solve. Right. So it's not totally, you know, at, you know, 100%, but we want to use real world technologies and real world like type problems. So you mentioned zero trust. That's, you know, a, a highly uh, relevant topic right now. CISA has their uh, a zero trust maturity model, right? So we wanted to incorporate that type that those technologies into to the competition this year. We also use all the real world technologies like Kubernetes. We have, you know, continuous integration, continuous development pipelines uh, for for our uh, participants to be a part of in our, our challenges. You know, we also explore um, CISA's known exploited vulnerabilities catalog, the Kev catalog, to see you know what is being seen in the wild. And so with capture the flag, right? You're you're looking for something within the virtual machine. So it's it could be a text string. So you could you know hack into a another networked virtual machine and, and find the text with the, within there. But you know, but we've mentioned defensive skill sets and best practices. So there could be, hey, did you properly set up uh, IPv6 uh, within your your network, and you'll get a a little text flag as, as part of that that you enter as your, your answer. Uh, did, did you mitigate ransomware properly within the, the, the challenge as well? And you'll get a little uh, a text flag if you, if you properly do it. So there's a wide range of skills and, and we're, we're really proud of what we've built within the President's Cup to be able to test uh, you know, all that, that wide range of skills that goes into the cybersecurity mission. Uh, I, think, uh, I think it's a very neat way of sort of doing that uh, because they're also learning in the course of competing for this, right? So th- there's uh, there's you know added benefit. It's not just about uh, winning. Talk to us a little bit about the deadlines uh, because uh, the registration began on the 24th. So we're a little bit late with this program, but I'm glad we're still having you on because there's time for folks uh, to register. And where do they go to get more information and register? Great, thank you. Yeah, all this information is available uh, at cisa.gov slash President's Cup that can walk you through how to register, uh, what it's like, to compete in in the president's cup uh and so the and we also mentioned the the deadlines yeah a key deadline coming up for anybody who's interested in our individuals competition uh needs to enroll by february 6th and all of that the timelines all of how to do that uh can be found at cisa.gov slash president's cup what's the group of judges uh that are picking uh, the winners uh, from the sad losers. <laughs> <laughs> it is all ad- automatically scored uh, within our, within our network, and and we have seen uh, the the skill sets and knowledge of our participants 
uh, over the years. Uh, they find different ways to solve our problems that we've never seen or didn't even consider. Uh, just, just showing you know, some of that depth of knowledge and, and skill set that we have in the federal workforce. So we do have to sometimes get in there and, uh, and, and you know, award points in a, for a manner that we weren't expecting in the competition. And I just think that shows you know, that there is a, you know, a, a lot of very skilled knowledgeable individuals within, within the federal workforce. And, uh, and, and we, we see all their unique approaches to, to solving the problem. Uh, winners will be announced when? We have our finals the week of April 15th uh, held at CISA facilities in Arlington, Virginia. And uh, we that will have our announcers announced uh, each day, uh, February 15th, the 16th and the 19th, we'll announce our team's winners. Uh, that's uh, absolutely terrific, and we look forward to having you back on to discuss uh, that. All the best of luck, um, Michael. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, and uh, break a leg. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you.